It's like I can't get away from uh, making more podcasts. Welcome to the Cutting Down the Knits, the a Penn State basketball podcast brought to you by the Big Banter Sports Network. Check them out. A lot of great stuff. They cover every single team, um, every major sport from the Big Ten. They're doing a lot of great stuff. I'm happy to be a part of the new network and just talk to you about Penn State basketball. Penn State basketball, one of those teams that, you know, and remember, I'm saying Penn State basketball, not Penn State um, football, not Penn State wrestling, not anything like that, but Penn State basketball, a very niche group where I think if you are a fan of Penn State basketball, you have to have some sort of delusion, but also realism as you consume any of anything that happens on the court. Penn State basketball is definitely one of those things that, you know, definitely tears at your heartstrings, and I'm pr- definitely emotionally invested in them. But let's, the season's already started, obviously, but let's, you know, step back and kind of see what were the storylines going into the season. Going into the season, we talked about Micah Shrewsbury leading this team to a 2023 March Madness appearance and a March Madness win over Texas A&M. We'll talk about that team soon. Um, One of the best teams in Penn State's history, and definitely a team that was historic in the Big Ten, one of the best, the best, actually, three-point shooting team in Big Ten history. Coming off of that, you know, you send two guys to the NBA, um, in the draft and three that are currently playing in G League or NBA affiliate. What what do you have to say? We go in, Mike Shrewsbury leaves in late March. Mike Rhodes comes in from VCU, brings his whole staff, brings a top player in Ace Baldwin and Nick Kern to the staff. You bring in a bunch of people and Rayquandis Mitchell to Marco Dunn and Puff Johnson from um, North Carolina. Zach Hicks from Temple. You bring in an Icelandic commit. You bring in Favor Ayer from Miami. You bring in Kudus Wahab from Georgetown slash Maryland. You just... A bunch of different pieces coming in, um, and you still have to retain talent from the class from before. You lose Kebajai to the transfer portal as he goes with uh, Michael Shrewsbury. You lose basically your entire recruiting class, and you're left with really a smorgasbord of players who we're not sure what they are, but we also are not sure how they mesh, and meshing is going to be a gigantic thing that we're going to be talking about when we look at the four games that the Nitten Nines have played and an outlook to the next couple of games. So... Let's talk about the games they have played. The Penn State Nittany Lions are 4-0 in the season. A great start, obviously, for a new coach, but there's definitely more than the box score shows. You know, you have games against Delaware State, Lehigh, St. Francis, and Moorhead State, respectively. In each of those games, the Nittany Lions have put up 74 or more points, but each game tells a different story. Let's start with the first one, a 79-45 win over Delaware State, one of the worst programs in the country um, historically. So you were expected them to win by 34 points. Um, Penn State really showed out in this game. They had a, they shot nearly 50% from the field, um, nearly 40% from three as well. And you really got to see basically what this team is going to look like um, next in the next couple games and see who's the primary scorer, who, what's going to happen. And we're going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly, but let's just look at the four-game recap um, real quick. Delaware State... Connie Clary leading scorer with 22 points. You had Kudus Wahab putting up 13 rebounds. And truth be told, not a lot of assists, but a lot of scoring as, you know, Jameel Brown, 20 points off the bench. That's going to be a very um, big recurring thing um, as we see Jameel Brown with his offensive outputs. Then you go to the next game against Lehigh, a very, very close game. I think Penn State was a 17-point favorite, and that's not at all what happened. Um, Lehigh really kind of controlled a lot of this game, but Penn State was able to pull away. Another good game from Connie Clary. Um, Ace Baldwin did not start this game, but did end up being the second leading scorer. Kudus Wuhab had an 11-18 um, board game. He 
was again very dominant on the boards, but the box score doesn't say a lot, and we'll talk about what that happened in this Lehigh game and the St. Francis game, two games that I was in the room for. Let's talk about St. Francis. St. Francis, Penn State beats them by 30 points. Um, this time, leading scorer, again, was Kanye Clary. Is this a new, like? Is this what we're, what we're supposed to accept, expect from the sophomore guard? Um, remember, Kanye Clary was brought in by Shrewsbury as part of that amazing class, the first... Um, the highest rated recruiting class in Penn State's history. Um, essentially, I would always think of Kanye Clary as a Sam Sessoms type who could actually pass the ball and is stronger and a better defender, but we'll get to that in a second. They beat um, St. Francis 83-53, and finally, they finished that four-game stretch, that four-game homestand um, against Moorhead State, where they beat Moorhead State 74-51 on another great game from Kanye Clary, Ace Baldwin, and Kudus Wuhab. This is obviously where you want your team to be um, going up against these schools. That This is the first. This week with the ESPN Invitational will be the first time Penn State has had really a test in terms of their out-of-conference opponents. But outside of that, their out-of-conference opponents are very weak this year. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that's a bad thing because you definitely don't want to start a new campaign with games against, you know, like higher-rated teams. Like At one point last year, Penn State was playing Butler. I remember in the in – Shrewsbury's first year, Penn State played Miami at home. Um, so there's definitely a bunch of teams you don't want to play in into your tenure. But when you look at their out-of-conference schedule, if you're thinking about a team that's going to be on the outside looking in in terms of the NCAA tournament, and I don't know if that's even a possibility this year, if you're going to look at their out-of-conference schedule, this is not an out-of-conference schedule where you're going to say, hey, yeah, this was their test. But, you know, you could be un undefeated out of conference, but you can also be if you slip up in any of these games, that's something the committee is going to look really hard at. But that, we're looking way too ahead. Um, we have The only thing they have to look ahead to is this um, Thursday against Texas A&M. But can we quickly talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly from these four games? Let's talk about the good. Obviously, the good is they haven't lost. They didn't lose a single, they didn't lose a single game um, so far in this four-game homestand, and you really don't want to lose at home, and especially as you get into Big Ten play, we're going to see a lot of times where Penn State is probably going to slip up, but the good, the defense. This is one of the best defenses in the country, as we see, and, you know, we always knew Penn State was going to have a good defense. Under Shrewsbury, they had a really good defense. You bring in the A-10 defensive player and player of the year in Ace Baldwin, so you already expect a bump from your defense, um, and right now, this team is um, only allowing 53.5 points per game. That is fourth in the nation. Their defensive rating is 72.3, which is second in the nation. Again, they, didn't play, they haven't played good teams, and they definitely haven't been, you know, it's not like they've been tested, but that's really good when you're looking at um, a new team and when you're looking at a new coach. You like to see that they can still, you know, get it done on the defensive end. One of the things I've been seeing in the games that I've seen with them is that they're guarding these players 94 feet, you know, we see Ace Baldwin is an amazing defender. Kanye Clary, we've always known he's been a good defender. We're even seeing Jameel Brown use his length the way he should. Um, and we have Nick Kern and Kudus Wahab being really good paint defenders. So I, I, I do think this defense is good, and I think it's going to be good. If you look at um, their opponent field goal percentage, the opponents are shooting 34% against them. And I don't care if it's a bad team or a good team, what that ranks, I, think, I believe that ranks uh, eighth in the nation. It doesn't matter if it's a good team or a bad team. That is a 
you don't you, the fact that other teams aren't able to get shots off against you that's really good i think they've only had two players so far score 20 or more points against them it, it, it's really good to see that this defense is actually like getting stuff done so uh, and you know they also rank in the top three in three-point percentage against and three-pointers made against them and it's not like they haven't had the it's not like they haven't had the attempts they've been other teams have been trying to hit the threes against them and they're not it's they're just not falling so i do like the amount of you know defensive output the defensive output from this team is really good and they are going to win some of those like low scoring games i do think this is a team that can win those low scoring games but that's one of the good things the defense is definitely one of the good things from this penn state team at least in the four games we've seen from them let's talk about some more good Kanye Clary, Kanye Clary, the 5'11 guard out of Virginia, the guy who a lot of people thought would um, really leave um, after uh, Shrewsbury left, um, especially out of that in freshman class from last year, the sophomore class this year. Um, he's been really good this year. Like, he's been really, really good. He's averaging 17 and a half points. He's averaging, you know, uh, 1.8 steals per game. The assist numbers aren't really where you want them to be, especially as the leading point guard it seems as if is as if he's a leading point guard because you know they're doing that two um two small guard role i don't understand how that's going to work but it looks good they look good they look like they're really trying to make a statement with that um but another big thing that i'm seeing from him he's taking he's shooting really well from the field he's taking at least 10 shots per game almost 10 shots per game he's averaging 50 um 1% from the field and his three point clips have kind of increased as well he's um only shooting 35 percent but you like to see the volume go up he's shooting almost four threes a game and that's something you really want to see penn state's guards haven't really been the best when it comes to three-point volume um even jalen pickett who was a fantastic scorer wasn't really a guy you'd want to see like on the perimeter and when you add a three-point and a jump shot to connie clary's game it makes him an extremely extremely tough person to guard especially due to his quickness his size and whatnot and he's a smaller guard so you don't really think that you need to pick him up all 94 feet but if you do see he's fast and if he could really get those transition pull up threes going he could be a really dangerous scorer and he's already showing that he's a great scorer he has that little floater that is like almost money and he can penetrate really really well he's a faster guard he's he's like a mix of the sam sesams jamari wheeler type um in his speed but the sam sesams shiftiness i mean sam sesams i believe was a better scorer than him but at the same time this is what you like to see from him the steal numbers i really like the he's really really good at getting um getting in the defender in the pass lanes disrupting balls and whatnot and staying in front of a defender um in front of a, a po as a defender he's in a he's a great you know lateral defender and then he also gets to the line enough he's taking almost six free throws a game which we like to see um that was something that didn't happen with Jalen Pickett I don't know if it was because of the refs or whatnot but because of Kanye Clary's play style he's really you know getting the best of his defender um, and then you look at his defensive rating, a 73.8 defensive rating, which is fantastic, um, especially given his offensive rating of 100, because it just shows that Penn State is a better team when he's on the floor. And it, it, he's definitely getting the minutes. He's averaging 27 minutes a game. And it's good that he has to go back and forth with Ace Baldwin because Mike Rhodes has done weird things where he started Ace or 
kept put him off the bench. And I think that's going to be a really good thing as we go further into the season, as we see they have two guards that can really defend, score, you know, get to the basket and whatnot. So Connie Clary is definitely a gigantic bright spot for this Penn State Nittany Lions team. And, and I, I hope that the, the numbers are going to normalize. Obviously, he has, he's had like three 20-point games already. But let's see what happens with um, as the season keep, keep, um, keeps on going. Second big bright spot, another good, Jameel Brown. Um, with Jameel Brown, I think what we expected to see from him um, his freshman year, which we didn't get to see a lot of, mostly because uh, mostly because the guard the guard um, depth on Penn State last year was he was in a crowded backcourt, uh, like there was there was no space for him to really carve out a role. He you know came in, into some other games. Um, like really early on in the season and late into the season, but he never really carved out a role within the offense. This year, it seems as if his role is to go in and you know get and put some shots up. He is he is shooting the ball a lot. Uh, he's averaging nine point three points and a steal a game coming off the bench. Um, he's averaging like thirteen minutes a game. He is. But he's a three-point sniper. This he's taking four shots a game from the beyond the arc. He's shooting it at like sixty-nine percent, and it just seems that every time that ball touches his head, it's going up, and it's most likely going in. His jump shot is really, really well improved, and I'm excited to see how he progresses and how his role gets, you know, more solidified in this in this lineup because he's a, he's not very big. Um, is he the second guy off the bench? Probably not. I mean, he's probably the second guy, not the first guy off the bench. Um, is he someone that we can see bring the ball down the court? I don't really see that. Um, I think after last year, people are expecting more of an Andrew Funk type role from Jamil Brown, but I don't think that's where Mike Rhodes want him, wants him. He's a combo guard who can actually guard um, other other players, one through three, uh, because of his length. So I'm going to be very excited to see what they do with him um, and how if his norm, numbers normalize because – as of right now, he's averaging 50, um, 50% on twos, 65% from the free throw line, and 68.8% from three. So that's another gigantic good spot we're seeing. He's just off the bench. He's that, if that's his role, he's going to have a great, great, great um, season this year. I think in the first game he had seven threes off the bench. It's, I, I'm excited to see what happens with him. Um, another good I have written down, um, I actually I didn't have it written down, is I don't know if it's a good um, because it's obviously – I don't know what the roles of a big is going to be this year for Penn State, but Kudus Wahab has slowly but surely been one of the better rebounders in the nation so far over the first four games. Um, he's averaging 11 points, 12.3 rebounds, 8.3 defensive rebounds, and four offensive rebounds a game. The one thing that Penn State had struggled with in the last couple of years is having a definitive big. Keba Jai was really up and down last season, the year before, you know, John Hara and whatnot. It, it, there was never a real big that could really go out there, a big 6'11", 7-foot guy who could go out there, bruise, and, you know, really be a presence in the paint. And that's what it seems Kudus Wahab is doing. He's averaging 1.8 blocks on the season so far. And he's just a presence in there to just, you know, like – disrupt shots, disrupt defenders, and that's what I really like to see from him, and that's what I like to see from Penn State. Truly, he's like a Jaleel White meets Mike Watkins type player. Um, why do I say Jaleel White? Because, or Jelani, Jelani White, that's what I'm thinking of. Uh, 
Because it doesn't seem as if, and this has been his problem his entire collegiate career, he's not a very efficient scoring big. If you, He's not the type of guy to post up and go get you points or go, you know, get him in, pick and roll type guy. He's, he, that's never been his role, and that's never been what he's been good at. Um, and I, I wonder if this is going to be a problem as we get closer into, like, more into Big Ten play and whatnot. He's definitely someone who I think would, if Mike Rhodes look at someone to play Zach Eady, that's, that's the guy you really want. But defensively, he could do it. He could get boards, but he's not someone who you want to go out there and get a bucket. He's not a post player at all. Um, his Most of his rebounds are probably going to come off of putbacks or just from the free throw line. He actually happens to be a really, really good free throw shooter. He's taking about five a game, and he's hitting him at an 81% clip. That's really unheard of from a big, and that's what you like to see. But like I said, it, it's going to be interesting to see how he develops in the in the year because he's not the type of person you really – think is going to make a play um, down low because he's just not that type of player, but he will get rebounds, and that's what I like to see from him. Um, I will say um, on some other, you know, not really good notes, but also just like some maybe we'll see how it develops. Demetrius Lilly has had some play time, and he's done really well in the short um, spurts that he's played. He's averaging 3.5 points, um, three rebounds. He's only had about seven minutes a game of game time but it's more than he's had last year and he's definitely slimmed down and seems to be someone who could really you know be part of that second unit um as it seems like mike rose is going for a full when he's up he's doing a full rotation of the bigs the guards and whatnot um and he has the depth for it so uh you know more power to him um but i do i do like um what it, the bigs on this this year's team demetrius lily looks good um leo oboyle i don't know what he what he like qualifies as but I do think that he is very he's a very interesting candidate um for the the Mikey Hen award or, or the the Trent Buttrick award where you could just plug him in at the five and you will see some sort of flashes of whatnot you know John Harris used to have that type of position as well but I do I do like uh what what they have from him uh so those are the maybe not too goods but like we'll see how it develops let's talk about the bad um, and I do have the ugly here, too, but we'll see. The bad, I'm going to talk about Ace Baldwin. Uh, I don't think Ace Baldwin is necessarily – he's not a bad player. This is a guy who won um, A-10 Player of the Year, second-time A-10, uh, two-time All-A-10 guy. Uh, he was the A-10 Defensive Player of the Year, All-Defense. He's one of the best defenders in the Big Ten just by his presence of being there, and it shows he already has 12 steals on the season. Like, he's averaging three steals a game. Do you know how crazy that is? Um, he gets to the line a good amount of times. It's just, for me, the efficiency is weird. Um, I don't know. I really didn't watch a lot of VCU last year outside of the tournament and the, um, the A-10 tournament and the um, national tournament. No, nor am I used to watching VCU, nor am I used – I'm not sure if he's used to the pace of play in in the Big Ten so far. And he's going to get it figured out, I hope. But it, to me, he's, he's definitely one of the uh, – he's definitely a top 15-ish player in the, in the Big Ten when you just look at it from a lens and on paper. But his shooting has been very interesting. And, and he's never been a scorer. Like, he – the most shots he's taken per game is about 10 shots per game last year when he was, you know, the main guy at VCU. 
and it worked. He shot about, you know, 42% from the field, 34% from three. He didn't take a lot of threes. Um, and he got to the line a, a good ton, but he was really just a uh, get it. He, he was a fast break scorer. He was someone who, you know, would steal the ball, get it down the court. He averaged almost six assists last year. Um, and this year, I think his role has changed because I'm not sure if they're asking him to be the secondary scorer. And, you know, we'll talk about the secondary scoring on this team. Um, I'm not sure what they're asking him to do, but I definitely think it's going to take him a while to get used to this, you know, this team and his role on this team. Because right now he's taking 11 shots per game, which is high. That's really high. Um, it's the highest he's ever shot in his career. Um, and he's shooting 34%, and that's just not not the type of percentage you want on that type of volume. Um, he's, obviously, he's also shooting four and a half threes per, per game, but hitting them at a 22% clip. That's also not sustainable. That's also not what you want from your, your main guy. Um, but then the assist numbers, 3.8, but to two turnovers per game. He's always been high in the turnover category, but he's always at least averaged four assists per game. And that's something he's not doing right now. So the good obviously outweighs the bad in terms of his defensive upside and just his his ability to create and um, penetrate into the paint and score and or get fouled or whatnot. But other than that, it's... This is not sustainable to play for a winning team, and that's something that they're going to have to work on. Mike Rhodes is going to have to work on what his role is um, because it's just that's that's not what you want from your main guy. I don't even know if he's the main guy, and if he's the main guy, which you would hope he is because of just, just the fact that, you know, he's Ace Baldwin, you know, the, he's a conference player of the year coming in. Uh, I, I want to know what 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 they do this year and what how that's going to you know translate for the rest of the season and if they get it figured out because right now I think Mike Rhodes is just throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it sticks um with Aces efficiency and I think it's going to normalize um but that's definitely not the best way to introduce yourself to a Penn State team that really doesn't know how they play and then secondary scoring right now there's about Nine players on this team that, or ten players on this team that are averaging five or more points, right? Um, when you're looking at, in terms of shot attempts per game, there's three players on this team that are at, taking nine or more shots per game. And that's Kanye, Clary, Ace Baldwin, and Zach Hicks. We'll talk about Zach Hicks, but if you were to ask me who are going to be the top two scorers on this team, um, this year, before the season started, I would have told you it would have probably been some whatever order of Kanye Clary and Ace Baldwin because those are two guards, those are the guys who are going to be ball dominant and whatnot. And you would you would hope that it probably would be Zach or Puff Johnson. Puff Johnson's kind of been injured; he hasn't played a lot this year so far. But um, in terms of being the third scorer or the uh, next go-to scorer, Penn State has not always been in a situation where they have a go-to scorer. Last year, it was it was really. Um, Seth Lundy and Jalen Pickett who were taking the, you know, I'm going to go down and I'm going to score type roles. But this year it's weird because Zach Hicks is trying to be the secondary scorer. He's taking enough shots to be the secondary scorer, but it definitely hasn't worked out. He's been very inconsistent all year. Let me, in in the last couple games, let me just tell you exactly how he's been, um, how he's been faring because, you know, he was a really good player at Temple. He was one of those players that, you know, could go down, score at basically every level, whether it's three-point in the mid-range or in the paint. But this year, um, 
he's been inconsistent. He has not had two good games in a row. Uh, first game, shot four of nine from the field. All of them three-pointers, by the way, um, for 12 points. Showed you really just how good he could be from outside the arc. Then against Lehigh, he only had two points. He shot one of 11 from the field and 0 of 7 from three. That is not what you want to see from a guy who's taking that many shots. And then against St. Francis, 4 of 10 from the field, 3 of 8 from three. He's in 1 of 4 in the next game. He's combined, he's shooting 8 of 28 from behind the arc this year. Um, and it's so good for like a 29% clip. It, it seems like he's trying to get his rhythm and you know I can't fault him for that but this is a guy who's known for you know being efficient last year he took the same amount of shots per game from beyond the heart um with seven and he hit them at a 35 percent clip um that's what we want to see from him this year because he's not a guy who's going to get to the basket a lot and he's not a guy who's going to get to the free throw line a lot so you want you really want to see him you know be more efficient from those mid-range and outside-the-arc shots, especially given the fact that he can really, he's someone who can dribble, dribble pull-up, transition three, catch and shoot, or create his own shot. He could very much create his own shot. So I'm very confused as to what's happening so far and what's with the inefficiency. So, and that also goes to show you with Ace Baldwin. We talked about Ace Baldwin's efficiency. Okay, so who does that leave in terms of um, secondary scoring? It's not going to be Kudus Wahab. And uh, granted, he's literally second in the team right now in scoring, tied with Ace Balls with 11 per game. But that's not the guy you really want to be um, to be your secondary scorer because that he's not a guy who can go and get you a basket. Another option, we can talk about DeMarco Dunn. DeMarco Dunn was a high-rated recruit um, going into his fr- freshman year in North Carolina. This year, he started a game, but it does seem as if he is the type of person who will um, really be a, a first guy off the bench type of guy for uh, Mike Rhodes um, this year. He's gotten at least you know 15 minutes in each game he's played with 3, 9, 7, and 2 with being his out- scoring output in the last couple games, um, respectively. Um, he's had two games where he's taken at least seven shots, and he hasn't really found his, you know, luck from behind the arc, but it does seem like we have a bunch of players on this team, on this Penn State Nittany Lions team, that, you know, their primary objective usually was to score. You mean, you think of DeMarco Dunn, Puff Johnson, even Raquanis Mitchell, they're a guy out of UMKC, who it was a re- was all Summit League last year, but was a really inefficient scorer on a bad team. So you have a bunch of people that could score. Nick Kern, what can he do? He's shown that he could be very, a really good two-way player, but he's not someone who could create his own shot in the same way that we could see Kanye, Ace, Jamil, or DeMarco do it. Jamil, we talked about Jamil. Could he be a real secondary scorer? He doesn't seem to be the type of guy who could create his own shot as of yet. Um, and when I say create my own shot, his own shot, I mean... I, I want to see him take more than five dribbles before get, um, getting a shot. Can he get to the basket um, efficiently, not on a fast break? Can he really um, create separation? What can we see from Jamil Brown? Because right now, it, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see who's that secondary scorer because kind of clear, people are going to figure it, figure him out. That's just how it is. Um, people figured Jalen Pickett out last year, and then he just you know scored anyway. But people are going to figure him out. Um, and he's not going to be doing the same thing he's been doing against bigger uh, big men in the Big Ten in Big Ten play. So that that's the bad right now for um, for Penn State. You know the efficiency um, with Ace, the secondary score, and just everything like that. I w- I put cohesion under the bad um, because. 
that's something that is going to improve. You know, this is again a team that returned literally five percent of their score um, of scoring um, and playtime from last year. So I don't know what else you expect from a team that literally has been together for only a couple of months. You don't you don't have a situation where you know they had a bunch of playing time together. Even the preseason, they played Robert Morris and they played a Bahamas team, but they didn't have enough game time together. So the cohesion part, I'm going to I'm going to give them a pass on for now, but it is going to be a problem as they continue to play games because it, the one thing about last year's team, the spacing got better as the year progressed because, again, it was another team with transfers, but you kind of knew what to expect with each team and with each player, and right now that's not the, that's not the case. And we're going we're gonna to transition from the bad to the ugly um, at the same time because right now the bad is and the ugly is the cohesion and inefficiency. I there's no creation from a team sense on this team so far. Uh, they are one of the worst teams in the entire nation um, with assists. They have they rank 288th in the entire nation with assists. With with they are getting they are getting 11 assists per game. They are actually averaging more turnovers than assists per game. That is something that is not um, good for winning basketball, like, at all. Um, they get the ball from other teams. They force a lot of turnovers, but they're turning the ball over just as much, But which is, which is good in a sense where the turnover margin is probably not going to be as uh, – it's not going to be as lopsided because opponents are turning the ball 21 times against them, so it's, it, they still have a plus-8 turnover margin, but they still turn the ball over at an alarming rate. Um, and with that, the, the cohesion is just not there. They, they really don't – it doesn't seem like this team has a plan for transition offense, transition defense. And even when it comes to a standstill, who's going to go out and get a bucket? Because Connie Clary, yeah, he could create his own, but you don't really see the passing from him yet. Ace Baldwin we know could create, but we haven't seen anything from him yet. And it does seem like this team is still in the sense of who's going to start games when it comes to the nitty-gritty of real team, real play. Um, they don't have a, a a set starting lineup, I don't think, which means a lot of guys are trying to go and get theirs. And it's it's going to lead to a lot of ugly games with a lot of inefficiency. This team is shooting from – they're shooting about 50% from two, but 29% from three. Um, collectively, they're shooting 41% from the field, which is good for a, a bo- the bottom third of the entire nation. And just – it, it, it's it's not really what you want to see from a team that you know uh, a team that's learning. It's because there there's good obviously going to be a learning curve. Uh, Mike Rhodes is going to be a learning curve for him. For a lot of these teams, you have software leading you in scoring, you know. But and there's a bunch of transfers, so this is kind of what you expect. But at the same time, they really do need to work on that. It does feel like there's a lot of you know, non-cohesion with this team. And like I said, the turnovers are really bad. The turnovers are exceptionally bad. And when you look at it, it does, outside of Jameel Brown, who, again, the normal the numbers are going to normalize, but he's shooting lights out right now. Outside of Jameel Brown, Demetrius Lee, and Chris Wahab, Kade Claire has the best effective field goal percentage with 57, 52%. Um, 
that's not good. When your league score is only has an effective field goal percentage of fifty two, and everybody else, it's it's a gap. There's a gap. Tobarco done with forty five percent. Ace Baldwin is, ta- is taking the second most shots on this team and has an effective field goal percentage of thirty eight percent. Like it, it's it's not. It's not good for. It's not good for, um, for winning basketball, and it's not. It's not going to go into winning basketball when we talk about playing Texas A and M, um, and we should talk about the Texas A and M game because that's going to be a huge game for both um, Penn State fans and just Mike Rhodes. It's his first ranked game. Texas A and M right now, I believe, is ranked twelfth in the entire country or 13th in the entire country. They are a team that Penn State beat last year pretty handily in the tournament with a very different team. But So Texas A&M is looking for a re- revenge, while Penn State is looking. There's only like five players on this current team that <laughs> played A&M in that tournament. So there's a very different feeling around them. But right now, obviously, Wade Taylor is playing fantastically. Uh, Tyrese Radford is playing fantastic. And so is uh, Henry Coleman. This is a team that scores the ball at a, a really, really good rate. They, they, uh, they're 76, they average 76 points per game. They don't really turn the ball over a lot. They only turn the ball over seven times a game. But they also force a lot of turnovers as well. Um, it, it's... It's this is not a team in Texas A&M that's going to shock you by with their scoring, but it's also a team that's very efficient in their scoring. They're only they're shooting, they don't shoot the ball a lot. First off, they have one of the worst three point percentages in the entire nation, uh, with twenty four percent from twenty four percent is disgusting. Twenty four percent from the the field, but they still shoot the ball at a forty percent clip. This is probably going to be an ugly game when it comes to. Uh, both teams. I I think I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna predict a Texas A&M win. But if Penn State would win, they'd probably win a five point game where the final score is like 63-68 because this team, they, both teams shoot just really inefficiently, and um, because we see a gigantic um, defensive effort for from the Nittany Lions. I don't I don't expect um, Texas A&M to destroy them. I don't think we're going to see Penn State really get killed by a team like this. Um only because like like I said, A&M they're they're kind of quick, they're a fast break team. They're a team that, you know, has has started off really well. Um I need to see who they've played so far. They played Ohio State who I don't think is very good truth be told. SMU on the road and Oral Roberts um uh, who doesn't have Max Amos anymore. So nobody this is each other's first test. Um, this is more so a test for a- um, Penn State over A&M. This would be a really good win for Mike Rhodes, and I think that's going to be that's going to be a factor. Um, and, but A&M, they have they want revenge from their that March Madness um, that March Madness loss. So Penn State could play A&M depending on who they play who they if they beat A&M. Um, I believe they could play either Butler or I forget who else. Um, I really need to look at the um, the the ESPN Invitational, but this, I, this is going to be a really good week for uh, for the Penn State Nittany Lions. But that that's what they need to work on. They just need to cut down on the turnovers. And I really want to see who ends up being the secondary scorer because Kyle Clare, I think, is the number one scorer right now. 
what is Ace's role, but is who's going to be that guy who's going to, you know, go and get a bucket outside of Kanye and Ace? Is it going to be Zach Hicks? Do we see Jamil Brown crack the starting lineup? I that would include that would include the Nittany Lions becoming really small because that's another thing too. This is going to be a very small team. Um, Nick Curran has been a really high spot. Kudus Wahab has had his moments. Um, this Nittany Lions team is really good, and we're going to definitely talk at the beginning of next week after we they, we see them play Texas A and M to see just how good they could be against real competition. Um, they this is their last big game in. Um, November they play they play Texas A and M then I think they play Butler in the second round if they win or I I don't know how the ESPN invitation works before they start Big Twelve Big Ten play um, in December so I'm very excited to see them play I'm very excited to see how this turns out I will see you then thank you for listening to the Cutting Down the Nits a Penn State basketball basketball podcast follow us on Twitter again at KT, KTDN Pod on Twitter. Um, I see TDN pod on Twitter. I can't wait to get more acquainted with everyone listening and for the rest of the Penn State basketball fans and the Big Batch of Sports Network. Thank you for listening.